KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Monday, February 7th, reflecting on San Diego's first COVID quarantine. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The Navy released the name of a SEAL candidate who died after completing Hell Week training. 24-year-old Kyle Mullen of New Jersey died on Friday at Sharp Coronado Hospital hours after completing Navy SEAL training. Another SEAL candidate was hospitalized and is now in stable condition at Naval Medical Center San Diego. Navy officials say the two sailors were not actively training when they reported symptoms and were taken to the hospital to receive emergency care. The cause of of Mullen's death is still under investigation. Santa Ana conditions are set to continue this week. A wind advisory is in effect for many mountain and valley areas in San Diego County. It'll be in effect at least until 2 p.m. today. Winds are expected between 20 to 30 miles per hour with gusts up to 60 miles per hour. Winds are expected to peak again on Tuesday through late Wednesday. Later this week, temperatures are expected to heat up and will be 15 to 20 degrees above seasonal averages. The number of people hospitalized with COVID-19 in San Diego County continues to drop down by another three people for a total of 991. That's according to the latest data from the state. On Friday, San Diego County public health officials reported more than 2,500 COVID-19 cases and 29 additional deaths. The county does not release COVID data on weekends. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. It's officially been two years since San Diego County's first exposure to COVID-19. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman says local attention was focused on the Marine Corps Air Station Miramar, which was drafted for a unique mission. Do you like the park? Yes. Yeah. Is it better than the hospital? Yes. Yeah. Two years ago, Frank Wusinski and his then three-year-old daughter Annabelle were among those evacuated from Wuhan, China and put into quarantine at MCAS Miramar. So it's a good thing that we did that. But on the other hand, you know, there's a feeling of guilt that I've left, I left my wife in probably the worst time of her life. Wusinski's wife had to stay in China and the two-week quarantine, which included a hospital visit, was not easy on their daughter Annabelle. In her mind, uh, it's, it's mommy not wanting to see her. Just kind of explain as simply as you can is, you know, mommy misses you, mommy loves you. The dad and daughter were flown into San Diego on unmarked planes. Some of more than 200 Americans and their families quarantined inside of base hotel rooms. For San Diegans, it was their first local experience with coronavirus. 
I think most people were just confused and trying to understand what is this all about. Then County Supervisor's Board Chair Greg Cox says he wasn't sure what to expect. It's one of these things you're kind of figuring, well, is this just kind of a passing problem? I mean, we had problems with swine flu, with uh, H1N1, uh, and those were just kind of you know, Ebola. Those are just kind of blips on the on the radar screen that, okay, you know, people were kind of following what was going on, but uh, it, for the most part, it never impacted their lives. And, and now this was something that looked like it was potentially going to be much bigger, and as it turned out, it certainly was. If anyone got sick, they were not allowed to stay at MCAS Miramar. The county's chief medical officer, Dr. Eric McDonald, was in charge of figuring out care locally. We knew it was a big deal because this was something that had not been done in 50 years. I mean, literally, uh, large-scale federal quarantine like this. What I remember was when we first got the call that maybe San Diego might be a location, uh, I was like, why us? You know, and then I was trying to think of how can we get out of this, okay? Uh, but then it, it, we quickly figured out, oh no, this is where it's going to be. McDonald ended up asking UC San Diego Health and Rady Children's Hospital to be ready if anyone tested positive. Seven patients were ultimately taken to UCSD and Rady's. Officials remember the scene when the first patients arrived. They were given a police escort and were flanked by CDC officials. Of those seven that developed symptoms, two tested positive. They were the 13th and 14th cases of COVID in the U.S. You uh, assume the worst, that is the most contagious, and you work down from there. UC San Diego Health's Dr. Francesca Torriani helped coordinate care for the seven patients. You could see really the, the worry of, of some of, of being not welcomed and, and of, of really being afraid. Toriani says they knew it was a respiratory virus, but they were unclear how easily it could spread, so the patients were put inside special negative pressure rooms that were designed for contagious Ebola patients. We were at the maximum containment. The safety protocols worked. No staff members ended up contracting the virus, and while one patient did have an experimental treatment, everyone left the hospital okay. All of the evacuees ended up leaving the base before March came, and then we started seeing cases among local residents. McDonald says there were some valuable lessons learned during the federal quarantine, like how to safely transport COVID-positive patients. So I got our pre-hospital system kind of geared up to be able to handle that, uh, all the way to just the logistics of how to support uh, a lot of people in one place who are on quarantine with food, with housing, with social service support. Toriani says for some of the patients, there was a language barrier, but she was focused on making them feel welcome so far away from home. Asking them what kind of food did they want would help them, you know, giving them hot water and a, and a teapot so that they could find some humanity. That was so touching and so important. During the quarantine period, the San Diego community showed their support. Military spouses organized food, toy, and book donations. Some local schools even sent in Valentine's Day cards. This early COVID experience helped prepare San Diego officials when, just a few weeks later, cruise ship passengers had to be quarantined, and then unsheltered residents were isolated at the convention center. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. And now back to where we are currently in the pandemic. A San Diego lawmaker is proposing a new bill to keep schools open and safe as the COVID-19 pandemic continues. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez says it might surprise you to learn why the proposed legislation is needed. We're all tired of COVID. 
Dr. Richard Pan does not mince words. He's a pediatrician and state senator from Sacramento. He was in San Diego to join another doctor and fellow state lawmaker to share the truth about COVID-19 vaccinations and the data showing who has received them. Dr. Akila Weber is the San Diego Assembly member sponsoring new legislation. It would be uh, creating this requirement that every provider who gives out vaccines would have to put that information into this registry. And two, it would be allowing the schools to have access to all of that information. The process to record each COVID vaccination given across the state does not automatically transfer the information to the California Immunization Registry. In fact, San Diego and Los Angeles counties don't report numbers to the state registry at all. They've kept their own records, which are often delayed coming from schools already overwhelmed with COVID protocols and staff shortages. Dr. Weber's bill would change that. Rondell Crowder and Ariana Moreno are both Lincoln High School seniors who are speaking directly to people who still are not vaccinated. I've lost so many family members to it, and it's really like frustrating that people aren't listening. People were asking for a vaccine, and like now that we have it, nobody, like a lot of people don't want to get it. The adults understand that they want the pandemic to end, but they don't realize that if we have a solution, take it. We have a solution now and they're just not taking it as seriously or as efficiently as they should be. The UC San Diego COVID vaccination van parked at San Diego High School had just a trickle of people interested in shots or boosters. Right now, this data goes to the San Diego registry, which would close down and report directly to the state under the proposed new legislation. As encouraging as the legislation might be, the process to try to make it law will not happen quickly. So the campaign to get more people vaccinated continues as the registry lags behind. If it were to pass, the new and improved California Immunization Registry would not start its infusion of vaccine data from across the state until next January 1st, 2023. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. And looking to the future, one jab instead of two. A flu and COVID-19 vaccine combo could be in the near future. KPBS reporter Tanya Thorne tells us about a recent study. A recent study is making the reality of a flu and COVID vaccine one step closer. The data from earlier this week really are part of that, that data stream, and it's good news to begin to see these sorts of things uh, moving toward availability. Dr. Robert Schooley with UC San Diego Health says there are many benefits to combining the two vaccines. Being able to get them both in one injection takes care of two birds with one stone. You don't have to um, uh, run the risk of having people only getting one and not getting back for the other and ending up having the uh, pandemics come anyway. So there are a lot of potential benefits to having them put together. The study followed over 300 people split into three groups. One group received just a flu vaccine, one just the COVID booster vaccine, and the other a mixture of the two. It found that the group who got the combo vaccine had just as much protection against COVID and the flu as the group who got the standalone vaccines. The study says no serious side effects were reported in any of the three groups. Lillian Serrano with Universidad Popular is excited about the idea of a flu and COVID combo vaccine. Tools like having one shot where that will provide two protections are definitely key in um, and are welcomed by a community because, once again, when you don't 
normally go to the doctor, when you don't normally receive vaccines, being able to get one shot and be done, um, it's, it's a very important component on whether to make the decision to receive it or not. The group has been working to get more Latinos vaccinated and boosted. While no official announcement has been made on annual COVID boosters, Moderna is already working on a combined COVID and flu vaccine. That vaccine is expected to be ready in 2023. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. Coming up, a high-rise apartment project in Bankers Hill could pave the way for similar projects in the future. Plus, what comes next after state energy officials decide to pump the brakes on reforming the state's solar market? We have those stories and more next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. A high-rise apartment building under construction in San Diego's Bankers Hill could make it easier to build similar projects that include affordable housing. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen explains. The 20-story, 204-unit building at 6th Avenue and Olive Street made use of the state's affordable housing density bonus law that offers developers relief from regulations like density and height limits if they include low-income housing in their projects. Neighbors seeking to block the project took their case to the state's 4th District Court of Appeal and lost. Heather Riley is the attorney for the developer Graystar. She says the judges decided to let the case set legal precedent. We hope it gives some backbone to local agencies who are reluctant to approve projects that comply with the state density bonus law. Opponents of the project have until March 14th to try and take their case to the state's Supreme Court. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. Engineers who run the earthquake shake table on the UC San Diego campus are testing newly developed bearings that can protect a building during a quake. The technology bears the weight of a building and is mounted between the structure's base and its foundation. Gilberto Mosquera is a structural engineering professor. He says the sway and shaking of the upper stories is reduced as the building moves on the bearings. He tells of an earthquake in Mexico City. People were in an, uh, a building that had this type of technology and the people came out of the building and, like, to, uh, to chaos going out in the streets. And, like, they were unaware that there was an earthquake because they were isolated from, from the shaking. There are earthquake bearings in San Diego on the Coronado Bridge and the county's emergency services building. 
Last week, California energy officials put their decision to reform the solar market on hold indefinitely. Meanwhile, California solar advocates are still waiting for the governor to speak publicly about efforts to change the rules governing rooftop solar. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more. The California Public Utilities Commission said last week it was putting an indefinite hold on a decision to revamp the state's solar marketplace rules. A proposed decision in December called for slashing the cost of power generated by rooftop solar, applying steep monthly grid access charges, and creating a fund to help poor people get systems. The Solar Rights Alliance's Seth Rosenfeld is not encouraged by the delay. If it's complicated to them, that makes me worried. And so our message is that everything we're doing is just going to be, then we have to keep talking and we have to be louder and we have to be more persistent. Rosenfeld wants Governor Gavin Newsom to speak out on the issue. All the governor has said publicly is that there needs to be change in the existing proposal. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. Moxie Theater held the world premiere of Diana Bourbano's play Sapiens over the weekend. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando says the play focuses on neurodiversity and offers a sensory-friendly production. Sapiens looks to a primatologist working with an orangutan that she hopes to train to speak a human language. Director Vanessa Duran says it's a play about communication. It's about how we strive to uh, feel heard to feel seen, how we socialize with each other. It's about understanding and compassion. It's also about neurodiversity and staging a sensory-friendly production for audience members who might be on the autism spectrum, says inclusion specialist Samantha Jin. This time around at Moxie, they brought me in to make sure that the show is indeed sensory-friendly and accessible to those who may avoid going to the theater because of those loud noises and because maybe they, they need a sensory break. The play is not only designed for people who need a sensory-friendly environment, but also as a means of asking audiences to show compassion for neurodiverse people. The orangutan in the play represents a different way of communicating and reveals how society creates norms that it wants people to narrowly fit into. Sapiens runs through February 20th with select streaming dates. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. Join me back here tomorrow to keep up with your local news. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.